is going. Oh, well, that's, wow, that's pretty proper, isn't it? All right, let me try that again. Let me try that again. <coughs> How's it going? Yeah, good? Good? That's good. You can take your seats. Go ahead and sit down. Uh, it's good to see your lovely faces here today. Good evening, everyone. Who was I thinking? <laughs> All righty, just a, a quick shout-out to my sister-in-law, Moana. It's her birthday today. So, Mo, if you're listening, happy birthday. And uh, Pastor Jack and Carol, did you have an anniversary earlier this week? Was that Monday? Was that last week? Oh, wow. Well, happy belated anniversary. There you go. Any other anniversaries, birthdays this week? Anybody? Shout out to you as well. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. It's good to see you here. Okay. Well, here we are. It's good. My name's Tanya, by the way, if I, if I haven't met you before. And it's great um, to have you here tonight. Um, let's get straight into it, shall we? Has anyone ever played the, uh, what's it called, like the trust exercise game? That's what I call it. I don't know if there's a name for it. But it's like, a, it's like you have two people, or it can be a group, whatever you want. One person is standing in front of the other, someone's standing behind you, and then you just like free fall backwards. And then somebody somebody will catch you, hopefully, right? That's like, I feel like it gives me the same feelings as Jenga. Has anyone ever played Jenga? Like just a lot of, a lot of angst, a lot of um, nerves. I just sweat bullets all the time. It just makes me very, very nervous. I feel like a meerkat. Every time I hear the word Jenga, just like, it's like just triggered, triggered all the time. Yeah, um, well, back in primary school, I had a best friend and we decided to give this trust exercise game a go and we're like, all right, let's do it. We'll take turns. So she stood, she went first, she stood in front of me. I was standing behind her. She was facing, her back was facing me. Then I got ready like this. I was like, all right, I can do this. I can catch her. She's not going to hit that concrete pavement. I'm going to catch her. Well, you'll be pleased to know, everyone, I achieved my objective she did not hit the ground. She fell into my arms. We looked at each other and we were like, yes, we did it. And then it came time for my turn. I was like, yes, this is it. I turned around, had my back facing her. She was standing behind me. At this point, there was no nerves, no nerves whatsoever because I wholeheartedly believed, right, that my best friend was going to catch me just like I caught her. And then we started the countdown, three two, one, then I fell. And it was great. It was lovely. And then somewhere mid-fall, I realized, oh, I'm falling longer than I, than I was expecting. I was like, this is strange. Is this supposed to happen? And um, anyways, I fell and I kept going. And then before you know it, like, I was like, nah, she's going to catch me. No, surely, surely she's going to catch me. But um, I can tell you right now, I wasn't well acquainted with the ground beneath my feet. But by the end of that game, I was. I was very well acquainted. Actually, my back and my arms were. And then I heard a sound of laughter coming from somewhere. So I thought, oh, who could that be? Looked up and she's like standing like somewhere down, down the playground just laughing at me. I was like, well, that's nice. This is great. Thank you for not catching me. Anyway, there are plenty of moments in life where... We have to exercise trust, don't we? For example, like, we walk into all sorts of buildings. We don't walk in there thinking, like, 
is this thing like structurally sound? Like, is the roof going to cave in on me or am I going to be all right? Like, you don't walk in there thinking that, do you? Or like we use like various pieces of furniture to, you know, trusting that it's going to fulfill the purpose that it was made for. We sign legal documents, trusting that our partners will fulfill their end of the deal. Even kids make like pinky promises, right? Like you pinky promise to do this and that. Like they do that to make a promise official. Isn't it fascinating that how something that doesn't have like a tangible form holds a lot of, like it's a valuable commodity, trust. In biblical reality, trust is faith in action. Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 2, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained good testimony. The Message Bible says it this way, The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. Faith and trust are two sides of the same coin, right? One helps us to see that the impossible is possible, and the other helps us to move into action. Or if you were to think of it as like a body, like a body part, faith could be the eyes, and then trust is like the limbs that you use to get the work done. Hebrews 11 mentions all sorts of people in that passage and they lived by faith, by putting their faith, sorry, in the God that they followed. So you have people like Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, just to name a few. These people were not not perfect people. They were people like us. Just because they were mentioned by name doesn't mean they were like exempt from the reality of life here on planet Earth. Yeah? Yeah. And just because they weren't perfect doesn't mean it took away from the fact that they followed a perfect God. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you would know that following God is a process. It's not easy. You're regularly faced with the question of, am I going to put my faith in him today? Or am I putting it, am I going to put it somewhere else? Now, there's two people we're going to look at tonight who had to face that question and persevere in their choice. Now, many of us, are are we familiar with the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth? Yes, we know the book of Ruth. For those who don't know, the book of Ruth records the account of a young woman by the name of Ruth. That's the name. And just just a fun fact, Ruth is one of two books in the entire Bible that are named by women. It's a standout. The book of Ruth is well known for being like a beautiful love story. How a poor young woman, you know, she leaves everything behind because she loves her mother-in-law. And they travel back to her mother-in-law's home country. There she meets a guy who owns like a big field and they get married and have a blessed life after, after all that. But it's more than that. It's more than just the love between two people. It reflects the love of a God who longs to redeem and rescue humanity. So we're introduced to Ruth by being introduced to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her family. So in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left there with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Not the introduction we were expecting. How does one put their faith in God against a backdrop of such sorrow? I have three truths to share with you all today. Something for you to hold on to, to remember. Because we go through life and life can be messy. Life can suck, right, as we've seen. But there's these three things that will carry us through to persevere in our faith in God. Truth number one, God will remain faithful. One of the great things about God is that he doesn't cower in the face of difficult situations or the tough questions that we ask him. From verse 6, we can hear the despair and the barrenness in Naomi's words to her daughter-in-laws. She says to them, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord has come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, set out on the road that will lead them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could, give, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Sometimes... Honest faith looks like anger. Sometimes honest trust looks like a whole lot of pain. The Lord doesn't require us to be happy all the time when we're in a relationship with him, yes? He desires for us to be honest with him. He wants every part of us, not just the good parts, not just the best parts, every part of it. He wants to hear the words you are scared to say. In the last two years, my family and I have had a lot of goodbyes. We had families pass away. It seemed to be a season of farewells. And there was one particular farewell that was very hard on us. 
one night I got a call from one of my siblings. I have seven siblings, by the way, so it was one of them. <laughs> Called me up. We had a very short, small talk. And then he finally told me what was on his mind. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he, it was something like, why? Why, why her? Why did it have to be her? Why did she have to die? <laughs> now as the oldest, <laughs> and if there are any older siblings here, my siblings are very dear to me. And I, when they come to me and ask for help, I try my best to give them as much help as possible. But in this instance, I had nothing for him. I couldn't help him. I had no clear answer for his question. The only thing I could do was remind him of the God that we believed in. That was the time for that. And I have never meant, <laughs> I've never meant it more than in that moment to remind him, this is the God we serve. He has walked with us through all the seasons of our family's life. He will do it again in this moment of grief. He will do it again. So we prayed and then had a, another very short, small talk. <laughs> and then he hung up, went to bed that night. A commentator by the name of Robert Hubbard once wrote, by holding Yahweh responsible, Yahweh's God, for her losses, Naomi affirmed his participation in the events. She didn't deny his existence. What she did was her, her lament was seen also as a cry of hope. So because she was thinking, if God could allow for these things to happen, he could also find a way to fix them. The harsh introduction to Ruth and Naomi's story calls for us to trust in God's unchanging nature, including his faithfulness. Sometimes we need to remember how those past moments of his faithfulness, what he's done to us, our, our testimonies that we used to Testimonies from the past, bring them back up, remind yourself. There are times where you need to remind yourself, this is God, this is who he really is. Yes, life sucks, but he's not, he hasn't left us, he hasn't abandoned us, he's still with us here, he will walk with us through those moments and he will remain faithful. So that's truth number one, God will remain faithful. Truth number two, seasons change. Verses 19 to 22 reads, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So Naomi returned 
from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. What was meant to be a happy return turned into a very bittersweet moment. To reflect on her life back in Moab, Naomi insists that everyone calls her Mara, which means bitter. In all of the Bible, Naomi is the only person who takes it upon herself to change her name. Name changes were usually instituted by God or other human rulers, and they were meant to signify a permanent transformation. So, for example, Jacob, Jacob's name meant deceiver, and God changed it to Israel, which means one who triumphs with God. By changing her name, Naomi takes it upon herself to redefine her identity. She believed that God had resigned her to a bitter life. Now, another fun fact is that Mara is only mentioned when she says it. The writer never mentions it again. He and everyone else that knew Naomi continued to call her by her real name, which means lovely. At the end of chapter 1, we learn that Ruth and Naomi had returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You could say that everything around Naomi, including nature, was encouraging her to look beyond herself. And remember this one truth, seasons change. We've been, some, we've been through some pretty tough times, haven't we? Sickness, floods. The cleanup after the floods, high cost of living, several industrial actions, the list goes on. And just like Naomi, we might feel tempted to redefine ourselves by the season of life we are in. I want to encourage us to take a moment to look outside, or whenever you have the time, maybe not right now. <laughs> but take a moment to look out and watch the... Watch nature around you, right? We know that seasons, ch- seasons are about to change by the way the natural environment changes. Leaves change in colour and then eventually falling off be- uh, before autumn and winter arrive. Snow melting to make way for spring and flower buds blooming to announce the beginning of summer. The Lord has set in place a year-round reminder that life will not always be the way it is right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. When things are good, take the opportunity to practice gratitude because life is short. And when things are bad, also take the opportunity to be hopeful. Because when we step back and look at the big picture, our troubles are even shorter. They will come and they will go. That's truth number two, seasons change. Truth number three, and if I can have the team come up, please. God is the ultimate redeemer. Have any of you ever heard the term, okay, I'm going to try to pronounce this properly. (laughs) Deus ex machina. Has anyone ever heard that? No? Yes, maybe? No? Okay. It's a literary technique an author uses to insert something unlikely or impossible to save the day. So, for example, 
a hero finds the weapon that he needs to kill the monster in front of him. Something like that just appears. When this technique is used, and it's used well, it can be very satisfying. But when it's used poorly, it feels like a letdown. Okay, Ruth 2.1 says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. From this verse alone, we learn three things about this man. He's related to Naomi. He's from the same clan as her husband. And he's a man of standing, which could imply that he's wealthy, he's capable, and he's possibly a war hero. Boaz is sort of like a deus ex machina. He changes the direction of Ruth and Naomi's story. And it changes for the better. Throughout the Bible, we see many moments of how God loves to use deus ex machina or unlikely interventions. And he uses it to dramatically change the lives of his people. Like when David was anointed king by Samuel or how the disciples were invited by Jesus himself to build a new kingdom. God loves to do the unlikely and the impossible. He shines brightest in the darkness because that is when there can be no other explanation but his goodness. Wherever you may be right now in your life, personally or your family or work, whatever it is, I want to encourage you that God wants to show up for you you, each of you, not just us as a collective, you individually, where you're at right now. He wants to show up for you. And if you're willing, you can let him, you can invite him and allow him to do what he wants to do for you. So if you stand with me, I would like to pray for each one of you. bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord God, I ask for your Holy Spirit and I thank you that you are the God who sees. Just like how you saw Hagar when she was by that well crying and not sure where she was going to go and you came through and provided for her and her son. I pray for each and every person here that you love, Lord, wherever they're at in their life right now, Father. I ask that you intervene in their life. Those that are looking for healing, healing from sickness, healing from emotional burden, mental burdens, I lift them up to you, Lord, in your name, Jesus. May you intervene in their their situation. Those that are looking for a financial break, I pray that you intervene in their lives, intervene in their finances, Lord those that are looking for spiritual breakthrough, may you intervene, intervene in their spirit, intervene in their situation. Holy Spirit, may you fall on each person, every single one who's looking for you, hungry for you, thirsty for you, those that are drained, that are in mourning, with heavy hearts, Holy Spirit, fall on them, intervene, 
intervene in their lives, Father. Take that mourning, exchange it for joy. Take that pain, exchange it for healing. Take that burden, Lord, exchange it for your yoke. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.